Good morning and welcome to Let's Talk Autism. I'm Nancy Allspaw Jackson. And I'm Shannon Penrod. We're grooving out to the music in our opener. Uh, so thrilled to be here with you, my friend, and with all of you. We're live right now. It is Friday, the 19th of October, or not October, it's November. The 19th of November, uh, 2021. So if you're watching on that date, we're live right now, which means that you can interact with us live. The chat is open on Twitter, on YouTube, and on Facebook. Excuse me. You can also write in on our homepage, autism-live.com, and you can email me directly at Shannon, Shannon at autism-live.com if you have comments that you want to make. But the fastest is really that YouTube, you can write in directly on YouTube, Facebook, or on Twitter. Amanda's there with her blue heart. We just love- Good morning, it. Amanda. Good morning. And um, we are also, later this show will be podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, it's a free download. If you find that that statement isn't true because you get your podcast someplace that we haven't heard of, please make us aware of that because we'd like to be all the places that you want to find us. And we want to be able to be free to you wherever you find because we're all about the information and the inspiration here at the Autism Network. And I know me that on Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. So, uh, Nancy, I, I have a trivia question for you at the start of the show, really for everybody. Uh, I want to know, because I've injured my back, and, and how I injured my back was deadlifting a bunch of laundry. Uh, we, have a, we have a big bathtub where we keep the laundry basket in the, the bathtub, and we put the laundry in there instead of a hamper, and then I deadlifted it out of the, the bathtub and hurt my back. But it brought up this issue for me that I, I, I was like, I want to know what other, how do other people deal with their dirty laundry? Do you keep it in a laundry basket and where do you keep the laundry basket? Or do you have a hamper and where is the hamper? And how do you get things from the hamper to the laundry room without hurting your back? Because I realized this I morning- don't think, I, Yeah, I don't think I've ever had that much laundry, Shannon, that it would hurt my back. Oh, we'll see anything. If I lift more than three pounds, it hurts my back. And and I'm sometimes lifting the laundry from three people. So it definitely, and it was squished down and I really hurt my back because I was having to bend over and into something. And it occurred to me that part of my issue is that I've never solved this problem for myself as an adult because my dad, when I was a kid, my parents loved the movie Yours, Mine, and Ours with Henry Fonda and um, Lucille Ball. Are you familiar with it, Nancy? What? It's it's called um, Yours, Mine, and Ours. Yes, I'm famous. familiar with it. Okay, and it was based on a true story of a woman who married a man, and I, she had like nine kids, and he right. had like eight kids, and um, based on a true story. And they've made the movie several times over, but the original is the best with Lucille Ball and Henry Fonda. But in that movie, because they have so many kids, right? they show like how they do the grocery shopping, how they do the laundry, how they do whatever. And they had a laundry chute. Oh. So upstairs in the house, after kids, you know, took off their clothes, they would take them into the, this cabinet in the back, in, in the hallway upstairs. And there was a chute that went right downstairs to the laundry room. So nobody ever carried dirty laundry. You only carried clean laundry upstairs. My dad saw this movie and he installed a laundry chute. How brilliant. It has ruined me for life. I, I'm always like, where is the laundry chute? Uh, and, and I'm always, you know, like having the difficulty of carrying laundry. So 
where do you put your duty, dirty laundry? Nancy, and I'm asking a, everybody else. I have a uh, laundry hamper in my closet. Got and it. Wyatt has a laundry hamper in his room. He does his own laundry every Saturday morning. Uh, and so milk. he carried, and so is it a bag that it's a bag out that of you a pull out of the hamper? Yeah, yeah. You know, I've, like tr I've tried that. Yeah. And is it is it does it all go in one, or do you have one that separates the colors before you move them? Uh, we don't separate colors. <laughs> I see. These are the kinds of things that we need to be talking about because that's just mind blowing to me because you, your laundry is always pristine and fabulous and you look fabulous and I've never seen a wrinkle on you. Um, and nor have I seen anything destroyed or whatever. And you're telling me you don't separate colors when you do no, laundry, you I just don't. throw it all in together? No, I do everything together. Like, like the world just went, oh, because I was taught like everything must be separated within an inch of its life. Um, Amanda says, I'm starting this new trend. It's called the fly lady laundry method. Check it out. It's all over social media so far. So good. Okay. Apparently I have to try it because laundry to me is one of those things that upsets the apple cart. And now I've hurt my back over laundry, That's over laundry. Thing. It's yeah. not a good thing. Um, so I'm, I'm deeply curious as to what other people do. Uh, uh, Traven says, my mom separates everything, but I do it like Nancy. And I, I'm just like shocked to the core of my being. To me, you know that part in Groundhog that it's like cats and dogs uh, <laughs> having relations and it's like total mayhem. To me, that's like doing laundry all in one. Oh my goodness, I'm going to have to try it now. This is like yeah. you guys have opened a new door for me because I separate everything. Um, so crazy. Uh, all right, well, that was just my question for the day. But Nancy, we have a lot to talk about. And then we have a wonderful guest. Leah Hirschfeld is going to be joining us in just a little while. She's going to be talking with us about research topics. And we're thrilled that we have the opportunity for her to be here with us. But always, we look forward to hearing from you guys. And um, feel free to be excuse me, writing in in the chat right now and tell us, uh, you know, just say hi if you want to, to claim your, your, your seat. Um, but also feel free to tell us where you're writing to us from, obviously not the street address, but <laughs> what's the closest major city or what country you're writing in from. I always, that's one of my favorite parts of the show, Nancy, is seeing who's watching and from where. Exactly. Uh, because I'm not a big traveler, so I'm living vicariously through hearing that people are in different places in the world. Anyway, I, we've got a lot of news stories today. Uh, we sort of outdid ourselves. So um, where do you want to start, Nancy? You want to start with the new study about the, the new autism? Synapsis? Yeah. This is a pretty uh, dense article, so I yeah. don't know whether you were able to decode it. Well, no, we're going to give an overview, but I always think that this kind of stuff is really interesting. This is coming to us from Spectrum, Spectrum News. We love them. They're a great news outlet. We encourage you to subscribe to their feeds so that you can find out all the new news of things that are happening. So the headline here on this one, this is coming to us from Angie Boyle's Ashcam, Ashcam. Uh, and the headline is Synaptic Overgrowth Hyperconnectivity May Define Autism Subtypes. We've talked a lot on this show before about how there are distinct subtypes. And when we started this show, that was just sort of a, a belief. And now that's been proven over and over and over again that there are many different subtypes of autism. Um, 
and that there is uh, a particular type that they've discovered in a mouse model. That part always sends me spinning because I'm like, are we that close to mice? Uh, but uh, in particular, a research group led by Alessandro Gozzi, who is the senior researcher at the Instituto Italiano de Tecnologica in Roberto, Italy. And I just slaughtered that, forgive me for all of you who speak Italian or uh, live in Italy. Uh, but they're, they're seeing different signatures and now they're, they're trying to decode them. There's, there's, oh, it's dense. As Nancy said, I'm, I'm not even, I'm not even going to try, but I will say this, this should not be shocking to us. There's been a great deal of research about synaptic overgrowth. I can remember the week that Jem was diagnosed. There was something in New Scientific Age magazine that was talking about this very thing. And somebody was saying that for some people with autism, that there's their, the brain growth is so fast, like there's a spurt where it just like brain development happens much faster than it typically would. Um, and that some people on the spectrum have this like overgrown network and there's no pruning. And um, what that leads to is that they have the equivalent of the analogy is they have long distance but no local service. Uh -huh. So they can pull up things that at an age when the rest of us couldn't possibly, but then there are other neural pathways that don't get connected because the brain was overgrowing. And that in a, you know, I hate to say the term, but in the neurotypical brain or the typical development, right? Um, that if something like that happens, the brain prunes it back. And that for whatever reason, with an autism brain, the pruning doesn't happen. And uh, the growth is so rapid that some of the smaller connections don't have an opportunity to be made. So um, interesting, interesting stuff. If you're into this kind of thing, make sure that you read up on this. Uh, I, I can just, I, I can tell you right now, Temple Planner would absolutely, absolutely love this. And if you're into brain science and brain chemistry, cool article in spectrum. Uh, but moving right along, we have yet another famous person who has come forward and said that they've gotten a diagnosis later on in life. Yes, Melanie Sykes. Are you familiar with her? No, um, but she's a broadcaster and I believe, isn't she more on, on British? Yes, she's on British television. Yeah. Um, she's a presenter. And, and she's she has about uh, being diagnosed with autism as an adult. At the age of 51. Now, first of all, I looked at this picture and I was like, that can't possibly be her. Does that look like a 51-year-old woman to you? No, it does not. Uh, it's so exciting if this is the new 51. Right. Um, right. But uh, yet another person who is in the public eye coming forward saying, I've gotten a late in life diagnosis. She says it's been life-changing and that it's been a big relief to get the diagnosis and that things in her life have finally started to quote, make sense, uh, which is just fascinating um, in and of itself, right Nancy? Yeah, she decided she was doing a documentary about the failures of the educational system and especially for kids on the autism spectrum. And she decided to do assessments and then found out that she was indeed on the spectrum. 
I here's one of the things that I found particularly interesting is that she says that you know it's starting to make sense because she has struggled being in her television career and the thing that she cites is that I've always struggled with earpieces what they call talkback where you hear what the director says I have often accidentally responded to the director in my ear live on air as I cannot juggle the person I'm interviewing and the person in my ear at the same time she goes on to say, my memory has always been problematic and remembering uh, pieces uh, to camera could spin me out, resulting in sleepless nights beforehand. Uh, there had been tears uh, tears of fear and frustration. Um, I find it really interesting because obviously those things alone don't equal an autism diagnosis. In fact, we're gonna share something in just a second. Um, but, you know, you and I, Nancy, at different times in the studio, we use earpieces and you're, you're a champion at it. Can I just say that you're like so good and you take direction through the earpiece and no one would ever know that you're getting the direction through the earpiece. I, I think I'm getting a little bit better at it than, than I used to be, but now we've been out of the studio for a year and a half and Traven messages me, um, I'm a little afraid of going, it is a whole different thing. I do think that that's hard for a lot of people to get, you know, to get someone talking in your ear while you're talking and to respond to it, but not verbally and not let your face show. That's a hard thing. Um, so I'm, I'm sending her some love for that, but um, I, I'm thrilled for her that she's happy and that she's being public about it um, and that that's wonderful. But I did include, because I thought, boy, there was a new article that came out about um, the fact that so many adults are being diagnosed and that signs of autism in an adult look vastly different than they do in a child. Um, and we have... Um, and this is also out of the UK. I, I don't know whether it was in response to this person um, coming out, but um, I, I don't have what the source is here. And for whatever reason, it's frozen on my screen. But um, uh, express. It's express. Thank you, Traven. Express, yes. So um, anyway. There's actually they, eight areas for adults yeah. on the spectrum. I'm trying to find the, the list of the eight. I've got I've got the beginnings of them. I can't scroll past. So if you if I, I have to get to the sixth one, I have but I found this list interesting because I I we're gonna read these so that people have them, but it's not comprehensive, and I'm gonna explain why in a minute. So keep that in mind as we read these. Do you want to start them, Nancy? Sure. Finding it hard to understand what others are thinking or feeling, getting very anxious about social situations finding it hard to make friends or prefer to be on your own, seeming blunt, rude, or not interested to others without meaning to. You want to take the rest? No, because I can't. My, my oh, finding it hard to say how you feel, taking things very literally. For example, you may not understand sarcasm or phrases like break a leg, having the same routine every day and getting very anxious if it changes liking to plan things carefully before doing them. Okay. So there's the, the, those are lists that are warning signs. However, before we all go off the deep end, because I think most of us are going to go, wait a second, you just described me, right? Um, 
It's very important to note, and here's the part that gets left out all the time, is that in order to get a diagnosis, SD, which is an autism disorder, notice that word disorder at the end. In order to get that diagnosis, these things have to occur at such a level that it, it, it makes it impossible for you to be productive in your life. So if, so at the end of each one of these, we should say to such a degree that you can't work and, and you know, keep uh, a roof over your head and keep a friend. So finding it hard uh, to understand what others think or feeling, that's all of us, right? But if it is at such a degree that you have never been able to keep a job and you've never been able to keep a friendship or, or any kind of relationship for any length of time, then that's something you want to be discussing with somebody. Getting anxious about social situations. Again, we've all gotten anxious about a social situation. But if you have had it to the degree where it has debilitated you to the point where you couldn't breathe, where you passed out, where you, you continuously have said, I'm not going to things so you can't work outside your home, you know, um, and that you are unable to attend your best friend's wedding, right? If it's at that level, it's important. It doesn't mean you qualify for the diagnosis, but it means you need to go in and talk with someone. And if all of these things are cooking along in a way that are preventing you from accessing your life and the things that you'd like to do, then we're talking about something. It may be ASD. It could be something else because it could just be social anxiety. But just keep in mind, because I think a lot of times we go, oh, well, you know, if, you know, this is a sign of autism. Um, but it doesn't mean that it's a, a be all end all. Does that make sense? So, but I thought it was an interesting list, uh, worthwhile to look at, uh, definitely. Um, I, and I, now I've lost, uh, one of my stories, but, uh, do you have the next story or cause I, I, the next one I have is Peppa. This is a nice story. Peppa Pig theme park in Central Florida will be autism certified. Yes. Now our kids were a little bit older than the Peppa the Pig thing. Right. Have you ever have you ever seen the Peppa I've the Pig? I've seen Peppa the Pig. It's out of Britain once again. Yeah. Got I've got a niece who is over the moon about Peppa. Uh-huh. Oh over the moon about Peppa. Everything is Peppa. So this makes me super happy. She is not a kiddo who is on the spectrum, but she is a special needs kiddo. And um, so I, I love this. And it's going to be in Florida, right next to the Legoland. And um, this is a new distinction, the autism certified that only came out, like, I, I want to say a year and a half ago. Um, but I, I, I love that we're starting to think about this. I, was it last week that I shared that the first time we went to Disneyland, I didn't know how to do it? And we left in tears and we, and we just felt, we felt so excluded. And I love it when people are, are looking at different things that kids would want to do and saying, okay, let's, let's take into consideration because years ago when ADA came out, they had to take into consideration. What about kids and adults who are coming to this park who are on crutches or are, are in wheelchairs, right? Like, are, are we making it accessible for them? And, and more and more places are making it accessible for our kids and taking into account sensory situations. So at some point, I want to get to this Peppa Pig Park. Um, it makes me happy. Are you, 
you're not you're not as into theme parks as we are. I'm not. <laughs> but I've been to a theme park with you, and you're a lot of fun at a theme park. Yes, we've been to. Um, where did we go together? Um, we went to uh, uh, Knott's Berry Farm. Knott's Berry Farm. We had a great day there. Yeah, it was totally fun. I thought Wyatt's, been, my... Wyatt has been to Universal with you. I did not go that. Yes. Day. That's true. I, has he been once or twice? I, I, I think he's been once with me. Uh, yeah. I feel like I've been someplace else with Wyatt too. Wyatt's a lot of fun in an amusement park. He doesn't uh, like roller coasters though. He's not a roller coaster kid. Well, I don't either. Um, so that maybe that's why we get along so well, he and I. Because uh, <laughs> I, I like the tram at Disneyland is just barely at a point where I can handle it and not get car sick. Right. So I'm, I'm right there with him on that. But I remember um, very distinctly, my favorite part of when we were at Knott's was riding the train with him. Yeah, that was great. I that was deeply pleasurable. on that train. Very fun. Very, very good time. So Amanda says, we love Peppa and we're going to Florida in July. We may check it out. If you do, Amanda, let us know. We want, we want a review from you. Hey, we're saying hello to uh, Sedat Kara. Hope I said that right. In Turkey. Uh, how wonderful. You know, everything here in the U.S. is about Turkey right now, but a different kind of Turkey. <laughs> That's all anybody's talking about right now. Do you have your Turkey yet, Nancy? Yes, just got it. I do not. today. That's on today's agenda, that a Turkey must be purchased. I don't eat Turkey anymore, but, um, but, I, but obviously the boys do. So I, I have to Purchase You're completely turkey. vegan now. Yes. When yes. Did that I when did you do that? Um, I feel it's like a year and a half ago now. Really? Uh, we, no. we had an Anita. Um, why can't Lesko. I think? Of, Les. Lesko. Lesko. Yes. Lesko. We had a, we had Anita Lesko on the show, and um, Anita was talking about her harrowing experience with becoming uh, type two diabetic and how they put her on all this medication and she was not doing well and that she went on a journey to figure out how she could uh, turn her diabetes around and discovered that if she went vegan, uh, both she and her husband, that their blood sugar was better. And as a result of it, she lost weight and she just looked healthier and felt healthier. And she really caught me at a time where I had been diagnosed with uh, type two diabetes and I was on the medicine and the medicine was killing me. Uh -huh. uh, and I was going to my doctor pretty much on a monthly basis and saying, you know, I'm not going to be able to live like this with the medicine. And the medicine wasn't really getting my blood sugar. It was getting it down, but not to a good place. Um, and so I was, I was having symptoms from the diabetes and um, the medicine and the medicine was making it impossible for me to lose weight. So I followed in Anita's footsteps and I, my blood sugar for a year, for an entire calendar year has been uh, totally, I'm, I'm not considered diabetic anymore. And I am off of all of the meds except for one that is just a prophylactic thing. Um, to That's help, pretty amazing, Shannon. Yeah, to help my body prevent me from having a heart attack as a result of the damage that doing the type diabetes type two diabetes. So I'm totally vegan now. And, um, and I was vegetarian and vegan before in my life. Um, so this was not a huge thing for me. And even when I wasn't, uh, for like the six years that I wasn't vegetarian, which is when I became diabetic, by the way, 
I was only eating chicken and turkey. I wasn't eating any red meat or pork, but um, yeah, I'm a better person when I'm vegan. It's not for everybody. I 100% understand that, but for me, my body doesn't handle it. So what will you have for Thanksgiving for yourself? Well, I will, um, I'll, I'll tell you exactly what I'll have is that um, I'll have beans for my protein. And since I don't eat potatoes anymore, because that's that's just too much, too high in sugar content for me. Um, I will, so I make a, um, it's, it tastes j better than mashed potatoes. It's a combination of white beans, cannellini beans with mashed parsnips and mashed cauliflower put together with some roasted uh, garlic and whipped really good. It tastes, it's the consistency of mashed potatoes. It is so much healthier. And it, it is so tasty because I love, um, love, love, love uh, the flavor of parsnips. So mashed parsnips, if you've never had parsnips, I'm just telling you, it's one of the great things in life. Um, so I will have that. And then I'll have, you know, a bunch of other vegetables. I like to roast vegetables. So we did not cover the story about the autism diagnosis. And not yet. Setting. <laughs> Joe Craven's like, did we cover that? And I missed it. got sidetracked on Thanksgiving. Yes. Well, and I also have lost that story. Let me see if I can get it to read. I've got it now. I'm looking for it too, Shannon. I've got it. It's in, it's in the Jerusalem post and it is this wonderful article. This is the duh heard round the world uh, that autism diagnosis at an early age leads to better social development, says a study. Uh, they studied a hundred children with ASD and, and the symptoms that they had over a one to two year period. And the children at the time were between the ages of one and five years old. And what they discovered, like shocking, I know you all will, will find this crazy, but the kids who got the earlier diagnosis ended up having a better outcome with their social skills. Hmm. Now, I love that they're not a hundred percent sure why that might be. Uh, <laughs> It's like, you know, how long have we been saying early diagnosis, early di early intervention, right? So the, I, I think it's safe to say that, you know, part of, the part, of, part of the issue of getting an early diagnosis is that something changes. Let's hope that some of these kiddos are getting intensive early intervention, but something changes. That, you know, the parents will do some research, which means that some, some, types of, some type of intervention will start earlier. So, uh, you know, super, super duper important that uh, we acknowledge that this is the duh heard around the world. Nancy, did you find it the same way? Absolutely. Um, just surprising that they actually had this research that's been done before, I think, many other places. Well, uh, you know, uh, the thing that was interesting in this article that I want to do more research on is that um, this research came out of Israel. And uh, in this article, it says, in Israel, however, the country's treatment of those with ASD has been criticized by many parents and teachers, with many of them going on hunger strikes to protest the work conditions for adults on the spectrum. Now, I got to know more about this because I don't yeah, know how we, how did we not hear about that? I don't know. And, and, and this sentence going on, hunger strikes to protest the work conditions for adults on the spectrum. First of all, there's a part of me that goes, so what kind of work are they having these adults on the spectrum do? 
Um, because if you're going on a hunger strike to protest the conditions, this concerns me greatly. But but we're over here, we're fighting to get work for people on the spectrum. Obviously, we want it to be work that is not in horrible conditions. Uh, but in any case, we got to find out more about that. But that's literally all they say. That's the end of the article. Right. Uh, there's no reference at all. So we got to do some more research on who are these people that are going on hunger strikes and what are these conditions? Crazy craziness. But uh, what's incredible is that we have the amazing Leah Hirschfeld who is here with us. And she is a researcher, which often helps us, always helps us to make uh, sense of some of these things that Nancy and I share with you that we go, we don't really understand that. Uh, <laughs> it's just a little too dense for us. Leah is amazing, and we're thrilled to welcome her back to the show. Leah, are you there? Hey, y'all. How's it going? Hi, Leah. How, so how are you? I'm good. I, you know, it's always my pleasure when I get to come on the show, and I think Karen's taken the show for the last two months, so I'm like, score, back on the yeah. show. We yeah. haven't seen you in a while. It's good to have you back. Thank you so much for having me. It's always such a pleasure. Talk to us a little bit about who, who you are. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I'm Leah. Uh, as you guys might have might have gathered, um, and I'm a research coordinator here at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders. So what that means is I get to spend my day answering people's questions with um, empirical research. Um, and so those questions come from our clinicians. Those questions come from our families. Um, sometimes those questions come from ins insurance providers. Um, and we try our best to make sure that everyone has the most up-to-date research so that we're giving the best care we can to our families. Um, and I also run studies and then also write up um, articles and papers as well, manuscripts that then get published um, to share the great work that CART is doing. Um, so it's pretty cool. It's great. And then once a month, um, me or Karen, who's the head of research, gets to come on the show and talk about any questions that people had and give some research. Yay. So if people want, uh, if, if there's somebody who's like, I heard about this research study that you guys did and I want to know, you know, like Shannon and Nancy don't understand it. They, what you can do, you guys, is you can write to me, Shannon at autism-live.com. Just put research in the topic um, and pose your questions. Uh, it could be, I want to know what's more research about this, that, or the other thing. And a lot of times what I do is I just forward it to Leah. <laughs> I say, Leah, somewhere put this on your agenda. Uh, and that's a wonderful thing. So what what have you come to talk with us about today? Yeah, so it actually ties in a little bit with that Israeli um, study you were just showing, but I'm here to talk about employment and underemployment in the autistic population. Um, Shannon, yeah, woo. Uh, Shannon, yeah. to your point, I think this is a question someone asked us many moons ago um, that we've been slowly getting to. And so if you have any questions, please, please, please email us, let us know. Um, I always take a best guess at what would be interesting to your audience, but it's even better if the audience just tells me. So um, definitely let us know. Um, but yeah, so today I'm going to talk about employment and autism. Um, specifically, there's an article that, that came out back in 2018, so it's a few years old, it's three years old, by Harmouth and colleagues, um, and it's a literature review. And what I really like when um, I have an overarching question that's just like, talk to me about employment and autism, um, I like to find literature reviews to come on the show and talk about. And the reason that is, is because literature reviews are, um, someone else has done all my work for me, basically. They've gone through, they've looked at all the literature, usually for at least the last two decades. Um, and they have been 
given a great overview, a summary, and some conclusions. Um, rather than me saying there's one study, um, this way I can say there are so many studies that all say this. Um, so that's the article I'm going to talk about today is a study that looked at all these other studies for the last 20 years. I think they looked from January 2000 to January 2018 to look at different um, employment opportunities, challenges, barriers, um, and some articles also that talked about, talked to people with autism about their experiences of employment. Um, so unsurprisingly, uh, you know, employment is really important to individuals. It's important to every individual for their quality of life and to contributing to identity and self-worth. We feel really good when we make an impact and have a job and get a paycheck. Um, also a little unsurprisingly and unfortunately, employees with ASD receive lower compensation than neurotypical employees. Employees with ASD tend to work fewer hours. And when you put that all together, they tend to not as frequently reach full-time employment as neurotypical employees, unfortunately. Um, I'll also throw out, you know, the literature as we're getting um, more into 2021, as we're getting, have, having a better understanding of um, what, how females present with autism, there are more studies with uh, females. Unfortunately, for the last 20 years, that's not so true with autism and employment. So a lot of these studies I'm gonna talk about did not look at um, females. There just weren't that many studies with them. Um, but as I go through, and I'll make the point, a lot of the things I'm about to say um, are just true for everyone, like neurotypical, uh, individuals with autism, anyone basically, um, you know, for example, one of the things I'll talk about is good job fit and the importance of good job fit. This is true for everyone. Good job fit is incredibly important for everyone. Um, but I'll talk about that as we go through. But I just want to point that out that um, women were not as included in this research, unfortunately. Um, one of the really cool things from this article was that possessing insight into one's strengths and one's weaknesses um, was considered an important facilitator to, um, to maintaining and getting employment. So I love that idea that you can sit down with your child, your clinician and you, whoever, um, can sit down with your child and really talk about strengths and weaknesses and what might be interesting to them as they move into the workforce. Um, and I mean, that's, that's just helpful information for everyone too. Um, um, possessing skills related to the job was also a contributing positive factor. Um, this one's a little bit on the duh scale as uh, Shannon likes to say, um, but I love this one too because there's so many things that we do that we love that we can translate into work. Um, so for example, if your child loves video games or websites, they might love to be a software developer. They might love coding. And there's some really cool coding software development games nowadays that are not not like necessarily, you know, uh, here you go, go learn JavaScript. It's, it can be more interactive and fun. Um, and then also like user experience. Maybe they love designing websites with the, with the actual like um, colors and experiences that way. Um, and that's something also that you can really translate into job. Um, maybe they love facts and figures or writing maybe data science, research, um, or journalism would be something that's interesting to them. Um, so you can really kind of think about what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, and, and work through that and kind of decide what might be a good career path. Um, and there's a really nice way too that you can say, listen, I might be autistic, but I have a really unique perspective um, that I can share with employers that you can build up as a strength, because um, I think it is. Um, it's, and, you know, there are other things that might be like detail orientation and other things that um, might come with potentially the diagnosis, but also can be a huge strength. Um, so think about again, how you can kind of look at these strengths and really talk about them and, and, and um, make it into a good fit for you. Um, 
having a supportive social environment at work. So folks who understand and were supportive of individuals with autism was a positive facilitator and going kind of hand in hand with that, um, having diversity training specific to autism also increased um, understanding and support amongst coworkers. Um, and there's a lot of resources out there for diversity training. Um, if you're comfortable with it, not everyone wants to self-advocate this way, and that's totally fair. Um, but if it's something that you might be comfortable with, you can always ask an employer to have diversity training if they don't have it. Um, and Autism Speaks does a wonderful job with diversity training. There's also the Job Accommodation Network. Um, I think this is a federal or government um, group that also does a lot of resources, a lot of coursework. Um, um, customized workplace accommodations was also really useful in facilitating. Accommodations were frequently developed at the start of work. So if you have a child who's about to go into work, um, you might say, hey, by the way, make sure during orientation you talk about what accommodations you might want. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of supports that you can have, like an on-site job coach or an off-site job coach um, or supports for workplace participation. So this was something I didn't think about until this article, but transportation to the work site. Um, or work events, right? You can carpool with someone in your neighborhood. Um, and on that note, again, you know, when you need or want those um, additional supports, there's a lot of resources out there for individuals with autism. Um, so Autism Speaks, again, has a number of resources. They have online courses, but then they also have an employment toolkit. I love this employment toolkit. I started writing down ideas for how to job search, and then the employment toolkit had everything I already said. Um, so it was awesome. Um, and it lists a, a number of items that you can work through um, and include while job searching, such as, you know, create a LinkedIn. Um, they have an um, autism employment network on LinkedIn that you can join. Um, you might be able to talk to people who've already found jobs, who've done the job searching, um, anything like that. Um, and then there's a lot of other things you can do once you get on LinkedIn, right? You can do, build up your resume. You can um, write up posts, like posts, comment posts. All these things that will get you some traction and some um, some uh, transparency and, and and everything else when you're trying to look for a job. Um, and then also when I was looking this up, there's every state has a vocational rehabilitation agency. Um, so they provide job and skills training and coaching. They also have a list of jobs to apply to as well. Um, so a lot of resources there. Um, um, and then as I mentioned, you know, good job fit was really important to consider thinking about your child or your employee's strengths, their interests, their preferences and abilities. Unsurprising, poor job fit, not so great. Um, poor job fit was more likely to be an obstacle to workplace success. And again, this is true for everyone. Um, this is all my friends who are in recruiting say 80% of the getting a job is cultural fit. If you have a good cultural fit, you're gonna succeed at that group. Um, so that's really important, really again, bringing it back to thinking about your strengths um, and a good culture and a good fit there. Um, and then talking about some barriers. Um, so some barriers to finding employment, occupations that offered low wages, poor conditions, shortened hours, or no opportunities for growth are not likely to facilitate long-term. Again, this is just true for everyone. <laughs> That's not gonna be great for anyone. Um, and challenges to finding employment also were lack of long-term workplace support programs or access to those programs, a negative attitude of employers or coworkers, um, or job requiring social interactions that people weren't necessarily comfortable with. Um, so if you don't like small talk, a customer service position might not be the best place for you. Um, though, conversely, if you really love solving problems and people's problems, but don't necessarily want to do a face-to-face -face talk, you could maybe work at like a text 
call center. It's not a call center. It's just when you like respond to emails or iMessages. Um, that might work for you well. Um, so there's a lot of ways to kind of think about your strengths and your weaknesses and what might really fit for you. Um, Self-advocacy is something that's really important, especially once you get into the workplace, um, and it's important for everyone. Um, so this is, and this is really hard for everyone, right? Like going up to your boss and saying, I deserve that promotion is extremely challenging, but that's self-advocacy. Um, and so this is maybe something you can talk to your clinician and your child and practice scenarios. And those, those scenarios don't necessarily need to be workplace. They can just start at the beginning. Um, like I, I know I've worked with children for self-advocacy and it's simple. It's like during a board game, if someone cheats, speak up. Um, or if you're playing on the playground and they do some, a child does something that you don't like, speak up, right? Um, and these are just good skill sets to have. Um, and then you can kind of transition those into um, larger self-advocacy self that, that works in the workplace. Um, Time management is super important as well. Um, this is also something you can work with your child and your clinicians and your uh, child's teachers to kind of work on. Um, you can use a schedule, use a timer, use a calendar. Um, I know these are all things I've used also in my professional experience. And you can add items to your child's routine, similar to what you might find in a work environment. Um, so you might give them a chore like taking out the trash that they have to do at a specific time and on a specific day while they also balance um, their responsibilities at school, right? Similarly, when you're at work, you have something at a deadline and you also have to balance being able to make breakfast or dinner or whatever life or like life uh, things that you need to do. Um, and then finally, managing work-related stress was also a big thing um, to kind of focus on. Um, this is again, really challenging for a lot of people. Um, and so your clinician may be able to help provide stress, me um, stress um, mediation strategies here. Um, and implement them, right? And again, you don't necessarily need to say, this is something that we'll encounter at work, but you could say, listen, I know this homework is really challenging. Let's work on how to work on that stress. Um, you can write down your feelings, you can write down your concerns, you can meditate, you can exercise, um, you can certainly take a walk. You can do that during work too. You can say, listen, I need five minutes. I'm going to pace and think, right? Um, so these are all things that are kind of translatable as you go into the workforce and things that you can certainly work on as you work with your clinician, um, while you work with your child. Um, and I will also mention, you know, for the self-advocacy, um, I know this is something that was hard for a lot of parents, um, but if you feel it's comfortable and you feel like your child is able to do this, um, you can potentially transition your advocating for them in school to also their responsibility as well. Um, that is very hard. <laughs> so it's hard for everyone. Um, but that is something that as you kind of work on those self-advocacy skills, you can potentially transition them into these skill sets at school that then transitions and prepares them also for the workforce. Um, and that's also things that they can then talk about in an interview, right? Oh, well, I um, really didn't like X. And so I had to go to the teacher and explain what I needed and then et cetera, um, which is challenging for everyone. This is like neurotypical. Everyone has a hard time with this. Um, so something that's a really nice skill set to kind of develop as well as you go into the workforce. Um, I will pause for breath and for Shannon and Nancy to, to bring in your own perspectives. Um, yes. I'm muted. So that sorry about that. I'm loving all of this, Leah. And I uh, recently I have a friend who works in the um, Department of um, vocal rehabilitation and she made a statement to me that has seared me to the very core of my being she said you know what i my job is all day long 
is that I help connect people who have varying levels and varying different types of different abilities to connect with work. And she said, the, the thing that none of us understands is why we almost never have anyone cross our threshold or call us that says they're on the autism spectrum. That it's just this untapped resource that our community has not um, walked into. And, and, and since she said this to me, I've been saying to people, do you know about this? And have you, did your kiddo participate? And, and I get everything from no, had no idea to people saying, yes, in fact, my child, when they went to college, got $900 a month from the Department of Rehabilitation, Focal Rehabilitation, to go to college because that's part of what they were doing for them. And I was like, where has this resource been that we've not been talking about this? So we're going to have her on the show sometime soon to talk about that. But I'm, I'm hearing you talk about this and I'm like, oh gosh, why have we not been talking about all of this before? And of course, Nancy, this you know who this makes me think of. Well, of course, it's Joanne Lara, right? Because Joanne, our dear friend Joanne Lara, who was always about everybody deserves a chance to work, everybody deserves a seat at the table, and um, and and of course, her book is a great resource. Her book is is entitled "Teaching Pre-Employment Skills to 14 to 17 Year Olds." She hated that title, hated that title. It was what the book publisher wanted her to do because what she wanted to say was teaching job readiness to individuals on the spectrum. Didn't matter age, you know, but they, the publisher wanted it to be a little bit broader, but you can get that book on Amazon. I feel like it's $11. And, and here's the great thing is that it not only has all the lessons that Joanne's program used to teach, but she has every worksheet like how to teach them how to set up their email and do the and do the lesson and the worksheet, how to do your resume, how to practice interviewing, how to fill out this form. It's all there. It's the curriculum for her Autism Works Now program, which Wyatt participated in. Yes, right, my son participated in that. And actually, she also had a program called Glorious Pies, where the kids would sell pies at events. And Wyatt got his first paycheck from that. And the first paycheck, uh, you know, I've talked endlessly about how my son stood there and held his first paycheck ever and said to me, this changes everything. And, and I was like, what do you mean? And he said, the fact that I can do something and I can do it well and someone will pay me and then I can turn around and do something else with that money. This changes everything, mom. And, and, and I thought, oh, how could we not give this to every single one of our kids, right? Um, so, so I love that we're talking about this and we're talking about positive things that we can do. Nancy and I have both, um, had the opportunity to be a part of the workforce alongside individuals on the spectrum. We've watched as issues came up and issues were resolved and the companies were better for it. It doesn't mean that, you know, nothing ever comes up. But I, but I gotta say, I don't think anything more came up than we have to deal with people who aren't on the spectrum, right? Issues, issues come up and you deal with them. I don't know why though, sometimes when I know for a while when I was, there was one case in particular with Joanne where, where there was one kiddo that we were trying to get him a job. And I don't, I don't wanna like 
tick people off and say what the company, but it was a company who was saying it was a it was a, a movie theater company, and they were saying that they were in support of hiring people. They said that they had a program, and we had this kid in the door, and we tried and tried and tried, and we kept coming up against this uh, roadblock. In fact, it's the reason why Joanne started Glorious Pies, because she said we've got to show these people how easy it is to put these kids to work. Um, but it was, you know, they were like, well, we don't, we don't have the training and we don't have the, and we were saying, then do it. Why, why are you dragging your feet? Um, but it, it is the problem. Leah. all the things that you just listed, you have to get an employer to be willing. And I, and I love that, uh, you know, 60 Minutes and Anderson Cooper did a whole article last year showing them why they should and why some companies have gotten willing. And some companies have said, we're creating an entire department because we know we're going to benefit from this. These are incredible employees. Yes, but that, but that is a segment of our population. And, that's, and that segment of our population has met a roadblock block of having employment. So I think it's super important that we address that. However, it is not the only segment of our population. And every segment of our population deserves employment. You know who changed it for me that were, because Joanne for years was my friend and she would say, everybody deserves a job. But I would meet parents who had adult children. They would go, my child's never going to work. My child can't work. Like That's just not, some people can't work. And I would go, oh, okay, and take the parent's point of view. And Joanne would say to me, that's horse hockey. That kid needs a job. And I would go, yeah, but they're saying that the child can't, Joanne. And she would go, no, it's because somebody hasn't taken the time to figure out exactly what you just said. What do they want to do? What's the good fit? Let's work on the culture of the company. Let's problem solve. Let's make adjustments, let's teach them how to advocate, all the things you just listed. And Joanne would say, we got to do that. And I, and I was like, okay, Joanne, but I think there's some kids that maybe can't work. And then, you know, who changed it for me, Nancy, was Zach. Um, and, and Zach, who is largely nonverbal, um, and, I, you know, I, I was asked to interview him and it didn't even occur to me until later, like, how do you, you know, like, how do we even begin to interview somebody who's largely nonverbal? Didn't matter. I said to him, what's your favorite part about working? And he found words to say, I like stocking, like stocking themselves. And you, and the way his body changed when he was talking to me about it, um, I was like, okay, I have been in the wrong on this everybody can work and everybody deserves to work. And, and I watched that after that work and it was a thing of beauty to behold. And his self-esteem would go up when he worked and he was good. He was really good. It was one day they went to an event and they gave him flyers to hand out. And at one point somebody turned around and they were like, where's Zach? He, nothing would do, he was going to get rid of every single one of those flyer and give them nicely within the criteria of what he was asked to do. He was a man on a mission. Um, it's a, everybody deserves a job. So that's what I have seen. Yeah. And watching that, the, the, 
the group that would work at Glorious Pies. I started to say guys, but it wasn't all guys. There was a, there were several girls who worked on the team as well. I loved watching them set up. I loved watching them, you know, best customer service. If somebody came into the pop-up tent to have pie or coffee, man, they made sure that person had everything that they needed. Um, there was no ignore. You know how sometimes you walk into a space and everybody's ignoring you? That never happened at Glorious Pies. Um, I'm just saying they were, and and they were of a very varied. Uh, they had different skill sets when they would come in, and Joanne would teach them customer service. And I think they loved it, absolutely loved it. So we need more things like that. So uh, if we want more information about the things th that you were talking about, where do we find that Autism Speaks um, uh, thing that you were talking about, Leah? Yeah, yeah I mean, that's just on the Autism Speaks site and what that uh, offers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I literally just Googled because I this article was fantastic, but I wanted to give real resources to y'all's uh, audience members. So I think I just Googled like autism employment resources and this immediately popped up. Um, autism Speaks has this whole thing. So if, I'm sure if you just Google Autism Speaks plus employment, I will like take you directly to their toolkit. Um, it'll take you directly to their courses. So to Shannon's point, um, if you have a group of folks who are like, we don't have the training in place. No problem. There are people who already have that and it's free for you. Um, so you can always kind of say, you know, we already have this in place that you can just watch. Um, they also have a workplace inclusion now, which is called WIN, um, which connects job seekers with employers and creates welcoming workplaces for individuals. So I really like that. Um, one, because I think it's connecting people. And then also it seems to be that if you're a company that's working with WIN, you are much more likely probably to already have a welcoming sense of community there um, for individuals with autism. Um, vocational rehab agency, again, I think you can just Google it and that'll show up. Um, that was pretty easy to navigate when I was on there. They have pretty clear tabs, um, and I'm sure your next guest who actually works for that agency can probably talk more about that than me. Um, and I think that's all of theirs. There's this LinkedIn, and they also, um, for on Autism Speaks, when you went to the employment page, the LinkedIn site was just, you just clicked it, and you signed into your LinkedIn, and you're already directed there. Um, so that was all super great. Um, and I think you can just Google Autism Speaks plus employment, and you'll get straight to the page. Amazing. Thank you so much for all this information, Leah. Uh, I'm, we're going to switch now because we've got somebody who's written in from Australia who's watching right now and can only watch for a few more minutes, and we want to address their question. You're welcome to stay if you want, Leah, uh, but we're also excused if you want to go. Can I plug one more idea, actually? Before? Yes, absolutely. Um, so when I was a behavior technician at a high school, um, one of the things the teachers did was um, they had a coffee cart that we then took around um, to the school and to other teachers. I think it was specifically only teachers. I think some students tried to get coffee from us and we were like, no, thank you. Um, but, but to the other teachers, we go around and um, we do the whole transaction. They would give us money, we would give them the coffee. And uh, to Shannon, to your point, we had nonverbal kids who were helping us. We had verbal kids, we had every kind of folks um, and they could all do it and they all loved it. Uh, they loved pushing the cart. They loved talking to the people. They loved taking the money in that transaction. So that's also something that um, was super easy, especially like generally um, teachers have coffee already in their classrooms. Um, so we just made an extra pot and put it in something and then took it out. So that's also an idea 
if you're trying yeah. to get your children some experiences as they're in school, that's a great choice. Um, and on uh, that note, then I will take my leave and I hope you fix the problem for the, the person in, in Australia. Thank you so much, Leah, for being with us. Thank yeah. you guys so and much for having me. You take care. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, I do want to get to this. Uh, and first, we want to say hi to Lucy, who said thanks for all the information. They're watching from Glendale, Arizona. So glad to have you here. Uh, but Off Chops has written to us from Australia. Um, I have a question for you, Off Chops. So you say that you're having trouble engaging. Um, and you say that uh, I've done everything I can for me. I just can't communicate and get told to talk to other people. They don't reply or send me back to where I started. Um, so, and that you feel that it's, you know, all coming to a boiling point. I hear that. I want to know when you say I can't get a hold of them, is it a specific entity or you're just looking for resources in general? Are you looking for someone to reach out for? Um, and I hear that you're exhausted and that you're not able to sleep. Um, and so, um, okay. Uh, I don't know if, if the Zach, is that a, a specific, uh, autism organization in Australia? Um, I think what would be best is if you want to write directly to me, Shannon at autism-live.com, what I'll do is I'll look um, up what, and if you tell me where in Australia you are, because there's a great disparity, for instance, if you're in, you know, in one end of Australia versus the other of what the, the resources are. What I will do is do a cursory look into what and ask some people that I know what are some resources there. And then you and I can have a little conversation about what have you tried and what haven't you tried. I'm so sorry though, because it's frustrating when you get to the point, Nancy, I think we've all been here to some degree at some point in our lives where you realize you need some help and you reach it. And the first thing that you get told is, oh, go ask this person. And you've already asked that person. Or somebody says to you, you know, you just go in a circle, right? And it feels so frustrating. So I just want to be there on your side and be another person with you that starts looking for resources for you. That doesn't mean that I can guarantee getting a resource for you, but just to have somebody so that you feel like you're not alone um, on Mars, you know, because you're not. You're, you know, the fact that you're writing in here says that you've got a a lot going for you, that you're able to advocate for yourself, you're able to say, this isn't working. And, and that's a positive thing. Right, Nancy? We've right. been there. You're, you're being proactive. And Shannon, that's yeah. great that you're willing to give them a hand and see what you can do. Yeah, and, and I don't, I won't profess to know what the resources are in Australia, but I do think sometimes um, when I call and say, I am calling from Autism Live and I'm looking for what your resources are, sometimes that opens a conversation faster. Uh, it, it means that sometimes I get a no, we don't have anything, right? Faster. But at least, um, at least you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll look into it. That's what I'll promise to you is that I'll look into it. Um, and, and we'll see what we can't do to locate some help and support for you. All right, because um, we don't want you to feel that you're alone. Nancy, this is our last show before Thanksgiving. Is there anything yes. you want to say you're grateful for? Um, I'm grateful for so much in my life, um, for the home I live in, for my son, 
uh, for the opportunity to do this show and spread knowledge uh, for my friends and family. Uh, extremely grateful. And I'm, I'm also so grateful for the opportunity to do this show. And I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to launch the Autism Network. I'm so grateful for the support of my family through doing this. I'm incredibly grateful to you, Nancy, for being such a good friend. And I'm really very grateful for Traven. Traven has been our steadfast producer. Nobody has been through uh, what, what Traven has had to go through in COVID to keep us on the air. And I, I used to always say we were the very first show that went online, even before the networks did, um, from home. You know, before Jimmy Kimmel went live from home, we were doing it before them. We figured it out before John Oliver figured it out. We are the last. I watched the other day and saw that even John Oliver is back in the studio. So we have to get ourselves back in the studio. And that's my pledge to Traven that in 2022, we're going to get back in the studio. But we would not be able of doing what we did in the last two years if it hadn't been for Traven. So I'm it's really grateful. a remarkable job. Traven, you've done a remarkable job. For yes, he has. Um, and so I'm very grateful for Traven um, and for all that he's done. So are we going to be but, here next week? Are we going to be here next week? No, we are not going to be doing a live show on on Black Friday. That's not happening. <laughs> so uh, I have shopping to do. Uh, I have shopping. Um, that has to be done, but we are going to be here live on Monday because we're going to unveil the toy guide. And so we're going to do that on Monday. And then we have some oldie but goodie shows programmed so that there'll always be something here during the week for people. I think what we're showing is an Ask Dr. During Marathon. Um, and of course, if you have an urgent question during this little bit of a break that we're going to take, you can always head over to TikTok and ask Dr. Doreen on TikTok. She's there as Ask Dr. Doreen and answering questions in relatively real time. So check that out. But we are here on Monday. Uh, and, I, and I didn't say, but I am forever grateful for this beautiful community and those of you who watch the show. So grateful. You have no idea. Uh, I always say that we're, we're in this together and I feel that to the very core of my being. So we'll be back on Monday. Until then, give your kiddos a hug for me. And give yourselves a hug for me. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Bye-bye for now.